everyone, this is episode 7 of Nature's Pulse, where I review the week's environmental news. My name is John Lieber. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, which is at jungle underscore capital. This is for the week of October 26, so let's get started. Okay, I want to start with some optimistic news coming out of uh, the pesticide industry. So the article is titled, Biopesticides Offer Hope for Sustainable Agriculture in Africa. And I wanted to actually pull up the definition of biopesticides just so everyone is clear on what we're talking about. So if we look here, the definition of biopesticides. Biopesticides are certain types of pesticides derived from such natural materials as animals, plants, bacteria, and certain minerals. For example, canola oil and baking soda have pesticidal applications and are considered biopesticides. As of April 2016, there are 299 registered biopesticide active ingredients and 1,401 active biopesticide product registrations. So that's what a biopesticide is. Uh, and it's clearly a developing field. Let's see what the article says here. So it says, the International Center of Insect Physiology and Ecology, the ICIPE, has developed new biopesticides that give hope to sustainable agriculture in Africa. The biopesticides products include 417 bot botanicals, 274 microbial, and seven, 271 microbial extracts or fer fermentation products. It's treated with the biopesticides, fruit, infesta fruit infestation was 7.2% compared to 54.9% in untreated orchards. These outcomes present one of the strongest possibilities for the complete elimination of chemical pesticides in fruit fly control in Africa. So very exciting and promising research coming out of the biopesticide industry. And this is really the undercurrents that doesn't get covered uh, that could explode into tr completely transforming the quality of our environment if it can be adopted widespread because it's likely to be cheaper, more effective, and better for the environment. So let's see, uh, keep our tab, I, keep our eyes peeled on what's going to happen with these products and hope for the best that they uh, can be as effective as they're seeming to be and can be ad adopted widespread. I wanted to quickly talk about this very amazing documentary I watched about the palace cat in Mag Mongolia. So I think that my video might get flagged if I actually show clips of it, but it is for free and it's called Wildlife Instincts Palace Cat Master of the Plains. And this species is not a species I knew about and let me just pull up this infographic to show its range. So. It, uh, it ranges mostly in Mongolia, but then it stretches down into Pakistan, um, Iran, and then all the way over to areas under the Caspian Sea. So it's a very cute species and it has some extraordinary behavior traits. So it mimics a cat, except it has a lot of fat on it. So it looks like this large fat cat running around, but it's in completely open plains so there's no trees and its top predator is actually eagles and in order to disguise themselves from the eagle predators they act as rocks so you'll see these cats walking across the landscape stop and just be frozen for hours and hours and hours uh, 
And then what they found is that the cats hunt a lot of voles and mice, those kind of small creatures. And they actually use their tail to hypnotize the, the, the mice or the voles as they approach them. Because it's such an open plane, there's, they're very easy to detect as they approach it. But what the researchers did is they had a large pole about the same, well, not large, but medium-sized pole, same size as their tails, and they would move it as they would approach it. And they found that it would stun, for whatever reason, the voles, um, and not always, but in many, in many scenarios. Uh, and then that would allow just enough time for them to approach the vole and then for the palace cat to jump. And then uh, just watching how they raise their, their kittens and their litters, how they interact with other groups. It was an incredible documentary and a species that I didn't even know existed. So I'd recommend anyone if you have a, I think it's only an hour long documentary about this amazing uh, species of, Magno of Mongolia, uh, the palace cat. This next piece of research that emerged this week isn't all that surprising, but kind of just an interesting conversation. It's titled, Wildlife Flock to Backyards for Food from People. So we know that people put out bird feed and all types of uh, shelters and attractants for, to, uh, for animals. And uh, what they're finding is that in some suburban situations, there's actually more wildlife certain types of wildlife in suburban areas than in their wild habitat. So to quote the summary of the article here, to see wildlife in the triangle, sometimes you need to go no further than your own backyard. A new study helps explain why some animals are sometimes more often found in suburban areas than wild ones. It's because people are feeding them, sometimes accidentally and to a lesser degree providing them with shelter. So yeah, that's not all that surprising, but there's an important nuance here that we should point out. And it is, most mammals are not generalists, and I should credit this comment, apologies to uh, Rob Large, a environmental professionals uh, Facebook member. He points out that most mammals are generalists. They're able to thrive in a wide range of situations and to utilize highly degraded habitats. The same is not true for invertebrates, plants, and fungi, which also depend on the very specific niches. In other words, bioabundance bio is not biodiversity. So it's really more of a uh, frequency, a volume, rather than a quality or biodiversity of richness question. So that's important to keep in mind, but it does have downstream impacts because you see not only just higher numbers of herbivores, but also higher numbers of predators that eat the herbivores, and that has radiating impacts to the surrounding ecosystems, and likely beneficial ones because it creates a, a higher abundance. And especially because if you think of development, it removes so much habitat. So in some ways, providing the food and shelter is uh, offsetting some of that uh, ecosystems that have been lost, but it's degraded and it's only the uh, hardy species that can survive, but you know, it's something. So it is an interesting article, despite it seeming uh, very straightforward. So every now and then I like to dig into history a little bit and just recognize the work of an environmental professional. 
So this week I wanted to mention the work of Elizabeth Catherine Thomas Carney, a Cornish geologist, philanthropist, conchologist, financer, banker, natural philosopher, and mineral collector. So she was clearly wealthy, that's if she had the time to do all this work, but she did contribute some significant uh, papers on geology that I just wanted to touch on. So let's just see my summary here. So she was around from 1820 to 1875. She wrote four papers on geology in the Transactions of the Royal Geological Society of Cornwall. And one of them was cliff boulders in the former condition of the land and sea in the lands and ends district, the age of maritime Alps surrounding Mentone, on the transition and metamorphosis of rocks, and on the nature of the forces that have acted on the formation of land, lands and granite. She was also unusually for a woman at that time elected a member of the RGSC, which was the Royal Ge Geological Society of Cornwall. So she did a lot of good work, and uh, I think that she laid the foundation for geology today. So any geologist out there would likely be quite familiar with her work, but I just wanted to give her a shout out because um, it's important for us to know our history. Next, I wanted to recognize the work of Sioban Iza, who is a group member of the Environmental Professionals Facebook group. Uh, so she and her team published a research paper this week that is very important called Let Me Take a Selfie, the Implications of Social Media per for Public Perceptions of Wild Animals. And I just want to read the abstract here because it's a uh, depressing subject, but uh, one of those um, that shines light on how our culture can uh, have ne very negative implications on the things that we hold very dear. So here's the abstract. Social media is a powerful tool for sharing information and awareness campaigns concerning environmental issues, especially as they pertain to the conservation of wild, non-human animals, henceforth animals. This form of online engagement is a double-edged sword, however, since it can facilitate the legal and illegal trade of wild species and promote harmful tourist encounters with wild animals. This review spans multiple disciplines and presents some key literature to date examining how public perceptions of wild animals are influenced by social media. This includes discussions of viral videos, wildlife selfies, changing trends in animal encounters at wildlife tourism destinations, and the influence of social media on the wildlife trade. Avenues for future research are suggested with urgency. The adverse effects of social media are understudied yet bear serious consequences for the individual welfare and species conservations of wild animals. And uh, so yeah, this is very important research and I thank all of them who worked on this because it doesn't take too much to just uh, go through any social media um, and do some scrolling and just find very, very cringy um, interactions with animals, uh, mostly people pretending that they're pets or traveling and acting like the animals aren't sedated to, to be so friendly. So we just need a huge cultural shift around the way that we interact with animals, um, mostly giving them actual respect rather than treating them like property.
And this kind of weaves into something else I wanted to touch on. Uh, so in episode 11 of Environmental Professionals, I interviewed Stephanie. Um, she's from South Africa and she does environmental uh, so no, she does conservation psychology, uh, which is very interesting, uh, work. And I would recommend anyone go to my YouTube at uh, jungle capital and check out that interview to get the, the deep dive that we did on, on her work. And she had a spotlight on her, uh, from the, from youth for lions page. And I wanted to read her quote because it talks on, uh, some of the, some of the negative interactions we have on animals um so she works with some some big large mammals such as lions uh as this would indicate that she was uh, uh highlighted on their page so here's her quote for me working with the youth is one of the most inspiring ways to see that young people are ready to, to take a stand against environmental injustices and welfare issues the captive lion breeding industry is one such unjust in which young people have enormous roles to play. We need to lead the way forward and make our voices heard to ensure that this practice becomes unacceptable and intolerable. Young people are the future, and when I look around me, I see so many influential and uplifting examples of young people taking a stand. There's immersed strength in a young person who chooses to dedicate their lives to a cause, and I couldn't be more excited to continue fostering that dedication. It certainly inspires me to never give in. So that sounds like how a leader talks. Uh, I can't say how much I learned from her and how much I respect the work that she does and the research she's producing. So um, check out Stephanie on um, her, her spotlight on Youth for Lions. And then check out the interview episode 11 of Environmental Professionals on this YouTube page, Jungle Capital. Okay, so to some United Nations news. So they are making some big plays or trying to through the Food and Agriculture Organization of theirs. Uh, it, they are talking about restoring forests of the world um, as forests enter a key decade for ec ecosystems. So here is their pledge or their aim. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, is leading a push for the world to scale up efforts to restore landscapes and forests over the next decade, with eyes on a target to salvage 350 million hectares of degraded and deforested land as an area bigger than India in total. So clearly very exciting. And I mean, let's not get too caught up in the, the nuances and the fears. I think some people probably are afraid that that means that we're not going to be protecting forests, but it definitely needs to be a walk and chew gum at the same time type of scenario. There's no getting around the fact that we've already lost too much forest. So of course we need to protect what's there, but we also need to restore. That's a key, uh, part to, uh, to sustainability and it also needs to be done uh, ecologically not just through forest plantations but having that first step getting the ground swell is uh is i think um a good start and uh a, a very good goal 
and the size of India, if it was achieved, it would have incredible impacts. Okay, so this next one was a real challenge for me. And what I was struggling with is a piece of news came out uh, environmentally related about Trump and anything, of course, that gets brought up about Trump or politics is going to explode, especially four days now before the American election. And uh, then I thought, okay, I do want to share this, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to share it and not criticize the other side as well. And I also don't want to hold in my political opinions. Not that I go out of my way to be political, because in many circumstances, it's just crass and it becomes a whole shit show. But I also don't like the idea of hiding behind uh, anything and being transparent. And even when my ideas are wrong, you know, I, I think it's a good practice to build tolerance of each other's opinions, especially when it comes to politics and in the environmental realm. So I kind of knew that this was going to cause some shit, but not maybe to the extent that it did because it opened up a can of worms, that's for sure. So I will read the article, uh, and I'm sure this will upset some people as well, but it's just my honest opinion. Um, so here is the summary of the article and my uh, political narrative. I officially became an American citizen last year, dual American and Canadian. I was hoping to vote this year, but clearly both choices are so far from viable. The blatant corruption in the DNC and wokeness that they embrace actually gives voting for Trump's form of corruption an argument, but when it comes to the environment, he consistently underperforms. As of today, for example, he opened up 188,000 acres of mostly old-growth forest for timber harvest in the Tongass National Forest, one of the largest intact temperate rainforest. Safe to say I'll be sitting this one out, but I hope for peace, integrity, and environmental prioritization for whoever, whoever is the winner. So the environment is my top, top priority when I look at an election, but it's not my only priority. Uh, I would say my second one is corruption because it frames the entire society's integrity and how it, it fuels how everything runs. And I have a tolerance, I'm aware of how the system works, the revolving door, uh, money and politics, all of these things, but I have a threshold and I just feel like this, uh, my threshold has been, has been uh, surpassed with both candidates, uh, more the parties themselves, well, I guess the individuals too. But uh, anyway, so I just made the choice that I wanna stay neutral and uh, not participate because I, I just can't have it in me. Yeah, so I, I've made that decision and that's my right to make that decision. But making that decision to not participate in 2020 is a big problem, uh, what I found out. So as you can see here, and I don't want to show people's names because I think that a lot of people actually might regret uh, one day some of the things that they've said, but there's 86 comments here. Well, 87. It's, it's happening right as I'm talking now. You can see the comments clicking up and they're almost all negative towards me. Uh, I would say a 99% ratio of people telling me to vote, people telling me that 
uh, it's going to be people like me that is the reason that Trump wins. People like me, you know, how could you say this as an environmental? Your credentials don't matter anymore. You shouldn't have ever become an American citizen. If you're not voting, they should have never let this happen to let someone like you become a citizen. Uh, think about what's going to happen to your family now because of your choice. You know, like it's basically people trying to control my decision and, and through either guilt or pressure or shaming. Uh, and it's just really uncalled for. And there's been some name calling. Someone even brought up my race and gender for the reason, which I also feel like is uh, unnecessary. Um, but we just need to build a bigger tolerance for for people's decisions and diversity because for me if someone tells me what they are going to vote for i would either like love to talk to them about it or uh accept their opinion but i would never uh i would never shame them or call them a name or become emotional about it because uh there's no reason to of course you have uh you have passion for the subject but uh, at a certain point, it uh, it becomes destructive, and you have to think about like what what have you become. And uh, an overall theme that I've realized through this and being on social media in the listening right now, I'm getting the I'm kind of in the talking mode. But even just listening is that a whole lot of people love to tell you to vote, but there's not too many people telling you to be informed an even smaller amount that tell you to think on your own. So I think people find that, uh, I think people like to have power over other people. They like to, uh, they like it when they're, you're part of their tribe. And uh, right now I never said that I was voting for anyone and that was the problem. So I wasn't voting for one or the other. Um, it, it shows how uh, concerning the situation, atmosphere and culture is we definitely need to be able to uh, reach past that and look into people's humanity more readily. So yeah, that's that. That's it for this week's show. I will just add that if you can please subscribe to the channel because I'm trying to get up to a thousand, hopefully uh, hit that mark so I can start getting the ad money because God knows that I'm going to need it while I'm going through grad school. Um, so if you could do that, that'd be awesome. But that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be back next week. And I hope to have a few more episodes of Environmental Professionals coming out very soon as well. Uh, also, there is a typhoon about to hit the Philippines. That made me think about a few people that I was about to interview um, that have been disrupted. So let's uh, make sure if you aren't, well, whether you are or not there, to make sure to monitor that situation and try to help uh, where you can because it sounds like it's going to be quite disruptive and uh, many of my followers, uh, viewers are from there. So thinking about you guys and keep safe everyone.